0: Please turn with me to Isaiah 62 as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 62. we We'll be looking at this chapter in its entirety. Before we do so, let's go again to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help with it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us with it. We are a people who need help. We are a people who need help even on our best days to understand the simplest kinds of things. And we are thankful that you want to be here with us, that you want to be here as we open your word, as we worship you. And so pray, we pray Lord that you would be here, that you would guide us through the reading of your word, through the understanding of your word, that you would apply these truths to our hearts and to our souls, to our minds, that we might better glorify your name in all the earth. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So as I read through This passage this week, it made me think of one of the standing policies that I have in my classroom at Murray High School, and that is the policy of no extra credit. I give a whole lot of regular credit. This is kind of the way I think about this. My students should do well as long as they apply themselves and do all their work. Yet it's always around the time that I get ready to post grades. We got a semester ending here in about three weeks and so it's, it's going to be drawing uh, where I'm going to have students who are wanting to know if they can find some extra credit and they can be quite persistent in their asking. They know the rule. They, I've posted it in my classroom. I speak about it regularly. I tell them, grades are getting ready to be over. I don't give extra credit. You better start dealing with your stuff. And they don't listen, of course, until they start to worry. And they start to worry about their grade. And they think if they can just persist in asking me, that they can somehow sway me. They'll even, like, have their parents send me an email about how, you know, well, my my child's never had a B before. Your class is their only B. And all these other things, you know. But in the end, there's no relenting. While there may be tears, there will be no extra credit. (laughs) In our text today, we are put into the role of a student who begs for extra credit. Except there's a distinct difference here in our text in the text today, we are told that we should persist in asking for something that we have already been promised. Remember in Isaiah's day, the people of God were told of an exile that was going to be 150 years in the future. This, this nation Babylon is going to take you over and they're going to take you away. And they're going to take you away for 70 years, but there's going to be deliverance after that. And so for many, they didn't want to wait for deliverance. They wanted it right then, right? It makes sense. They hoped for a Messiah before, during, and after that Babylonian captivity. We know that because we have writings from all three of those periods. But even for us, as we live on the other side, Of that great deliverer having already come, Jesus Christ our Lord. We also long for the day when our own exile here in this land that is so strange to us many times will be complete and will finally be taken to our heavenly home with our Lord forever. God is bringing about these promises in his own timing and all the while He tells us that we must persist in praying that his will in these things would come about. And our persistence, understand our persistence isn't isn't hoping that he would break his former promise in order to give something to us, like the kids begging for extra credit. Our persistence and our prayers are asking him to fulfill something that he's already promised and to do so. Quickly, this idea should change the way that we think about prayer, which we typically use as a means to pray for some sort of immediate need. Right. We pray for the sick. We pray for some immediate need in our in our lives. Those things are not wrong at all. We should pray for our needs. The Lord tells us to do that. But what I hope is this passage will give us a more of a longer view. When it comes to our prayers and our belief about how God uses them to bring his kingdom here on this earth. So we'll break this up into three sections. The people of promise, the prayer of the people, and then the oath of a savior. So with that, let's look together at the text. Isaiah chapter 62 we will be reading it in its entirety. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Isaiah 62, starting at verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet. Until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. The nations shall see your righteousness and all the kings your glory. And you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. You shall no more be termed forsaken for your land shall no more be termed desolate. But you shall be called. My delight is in her and your land married for the Lord delights in you and your land shall be married. For as a young man marries a young woman. So shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm, I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies and foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord and those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. Go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, Clear it of stones. Lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord has proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. Amen. This is God's word. may be seated. So for a bit of context, where we're at in the book of Isaiah, remember last week we had this idea in chapter 61 of the year of the Lord's favor, the year of Jubilee, and how the Lord Jesus in that and ultimately with that came to set his captives free. That was us. That was anyone who is in Christ who were prisoners to sin and death. He has come to set us free. And Isaiah's response to hearing about this is thanksgiving, greatly rejoicing in the Lord. He speaks about how the Lord has changed our status by clothing us. Remember, he clothed us in salvation and in righteousness. And then he uses this illustration of the garden as well, saying that righteousness and justice will sprout up in the people of God. We confirm this as we read from the New Testament, how he's created us. For good works, that we should walk in them. So in our text today, we have a continuation of that same line of thought. Continuation of the idea of righteousness springing up from the people of God with its source being our Lord Jesus. And that brings us to the first point, the people of promise. Look with me again at verse 1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. Again, this is Isaiah speaking here. Continuation of his ideas at the end of 61. And this is, he is unable to be quiet concerning the righteousness of the people of God. And again, this has nothing to do with. Something that the people of God have done. They finally piled up enough good works to be called righteous. And now they can go forth in some sort of procession with their own good works shining forth. That's not at all what's going on. But this new righteousness that they have is from the work of the servant himself. The righteousness that they have been clothed in. The salvation that they have been clothed in. And in fact, because of this, they're going to be given a new name. Zion or Jerusalem is going to be given a new name. We see this. And again, verses two through four, the nations shall see your righteousness again, not theirs. It's not something they've done. That's given to them and all the kings, your glory, and you shall be called by a new name. You're going to be given a new name. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord. And then he goes through some of their old name old names. You shall no longer be termed forsaken, and your land shall no longer be termed desolate. Again, this is the idea of that status change that we saw in 61, where the Lord has put on the robes of righteousness, the garment of salvation, on to the people of God. And because of this, those things that were once were concerning them are no longer those names forsaken and desolate. No longer apply and look at the new names that they're given the second half of verse four, but you shall be called. My delight is in her and your land married interesting names in the Hebrew. Those are just one word each. And so think about what's going on here. In this, this is kind of an exchange of marriage vows, in a sense. The new bride is has a change of status, a change of name as a result of this. Her redeemer now delights in her, and she has a new name. My delight is in her. And for some of you, your, your, your English translation might actually just give you the Hebrew word there. It's like... Hepz, probably not the right translation, but you, you can probably see it there. And the other one is probably something that we're a little more familiar with. And for some of your translation will say your land is called Beulah. It's a picture of this marriage and honeymoon kind of thing where the bridegroom is finally coming to be with his bride and carries her away, rejoicing and delighting in her. This picture led to someone in the early 80s to write a song about it, and that song is called Beulah Land. And you've probably heard it sung. It's actually a, a decent gospel song because it's about, well, it's just about the words of the scriptures. And, it is, and it's about this whole moment that is being captured here. We, it's hard for us to imagine this in our own culture. Because when two people are engaged to be married, they kind of decide their date together. They kind of do all the preparation together. But in this culture, the bride waited for the bridegroom to get everything in order. And then his coming would actually signal the wedding and the marriage. And so that, that, that kind of tension is what is seen here in these words. And that song, that Buell Land, I encourage you to listen to it. It's actually really good. And I'll just quote from it. It says, I'm looking now just across the river to where my faith shall end in sight. What a, what a great picture. The faith that I've had shall end in sight. There's just a few more days to labor. Then I'll take my heavenly flight. Again, the picture of a bride waiting for her bridegroom, the picture of a people waiting for the return of their redeemer, longing for that heavenly Beulah land. It is the great struggle that we have in this life. We all get it as we look at the world around us, reading about the state of our country, the world at large, a new uh, COVID variant. Crime, just turn on the news, it's unreal. Hatred. On top of dealing with our own contributions, our own frustrations with ourselves, seeing our seeing our own sin contributing to the madness of the world. We long to be home. We long to see our bridegroom come and take us there. We await That day when our faith will end in sight and we'll see the Lord Jesus face to face when he finally comes to bring his people home. Yet, here we are. And so what do we do while we're here? Well, we cling to the truth of this passage. It's all we have. This is the truth. And this isn't some little thing. This is the very son of God who looks at us, his people, and calls us, my delight is in her. That's pretty incredible. The one who spoke all things into into existence delights in us. And so what do we do? We cling to that truth, but we also put our hands to the plow and do the work that we've been called to do. Which brings us to the second point, the prayer of the people. Look with me again in verses 6 and 7. On your walls, O Jerusalem, I have set watchmen all the day and all the night. They shall never be silent. You who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem and makes it a praise in the earth. So we have a voice change here. All of a sudden now the Lord is speaking to us and he is painting a picture of a watchman looking over a city. And this is a picture that we don't really understand too well in our modern kind of context. We don't have city gates. You know, if you come into Murray, you see a little welcome to Murray sign. They didn't have those things back then. They had gates and guards that would, that would guard the city because usually if someone was coming into the city from far away, or from outside, they weren't necessarily there to bring good news. They were there to destroy. They were there to rob. They were there to take something. And so the, the gates and the watchmen and the guards and all this was to guard against that. I mean, it's kind of crazy to think I can like drive to my parents' house, for instance, in in the boot hill of Missouri. And I go through all these little towns and I just drive through without being... Asked to stop or anything like that. Now, some of them are like speed traps or whatever, so you have to be careful. But we don't have any sort of limited freedom. We just go. In those days, it would have been much different. You didn't just idly walk into a new city. All right? If you walked into a new city, you were being watched. And you had been watched for a long time. You were seen from far away. The watchman saw you and they had already sized you up and decided we should let this person in or not, we should follow them or not. They had already made a, made a decision about you. The watcher on the walls had a very important job for the city. They were the ones that saw these potential threats from far away. They were ready to deal with them when they arrived. So a good watcher is the difference between life and death. And in some cases, a bad one, like just simply falling asleep when you're on the job, would mean the downfall for a whole city. History even tells us the story. And so these watchmen that the Lord speaks of, he notice he says they are not to be silent. And notice what they should be busy doing. If they're not going to be silent, then what should they be saying? You who put your remembrance, who put the Lord in remembrance, take no rest and Give him, the Lord, no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. What are they saying? They are to continue to persist in asking the Lord to establish Jerusalem and to make it a praise on earth. Their continued prayer was that the Lord would make his promises to come true. That was their continued prayer. They didn't make up things according to their own whims. They didn't decide what the parameters should look like. They just simply prayed the prayer or the promises of the Lord. That his kingdom would come, that the people of God would be lifted up so that the nations around them would see and be drawn to him. We saw this in 60 and 61. You could go back all the way even to chapter 2 and see this same sort of promise being talked about. They weren't speaking things into existence. They were just praying to the Lord that He would keep His promises and that He would do so quickly. And He did. In their day, well in many generations from there, the people of God would be delivered from Babylon. Several hundred years after that, the servant that Isaiah speaks about, He Himself would come. And when He came, what did Jesus come preaching? What did He come preaching? The kingdom of God is at hand. There's a direct fulfillment of this prophecy. Pray for this to happen. He comes and he says, it's happening. The kingdom of God is at hand. A A direct answer to the prayers of the watchers in Isaiah's day. So what about today? Well, we're still called to be watchers on the wall. Each one of us has a role to play in this idea. Each one of us. Personally, must be on guard for our own hearts and minds, dealing with the schemes of the devil, dealing with the snares of this world, dealing with all the things, all the information that we bring in on a day-to-day basis. We must be on guard constantly. Some of us have families to watch over in this way, protecting them from enemies who they're not even aware of, from outside things that would want to take over. The elders in this church... Take care of the church. They watch the walls carefully. How do we do that? We speak the truth. We call out falsehood. These are things that we are called to do. And so then how do we pray? Well, are we like the students in my classroom who are begging for things that they've already been told they can't have or things that they are not guaranteed? This happens a lot. As Christians, At worst, it takes the form of a doctrine that's called the Word-Faith Doctrine which claims that one can simply kind of harness the power of God in a way, like kind of force God's hand in a way to speak things into existence. And those things are always like money and fame. They always are because the guy standing up there saying is usually rich and famous. And the churches, their churches are just Symbols, if you think about it, that kind of thing slips through because of somewhere along the way, some guy was sleeping on his job and wasn't watching when the wolves came in and took over. Yet for most of us, it's not that extreme. For most of us, it takes the form of just becoming anxious about things that God never guaranteed that he would have or wouldn't have. Angry with him over promises that he never made. Rather than persisting in prayer for the kingdom of God to come, we persist in forgetting the eternal things for the immediate things. And we struggle with that. And we have to be careful here because, again, it's not wrong for us to pray for our immediate needs. And I'm not saying that. God tells us to pray for the sick, to pray for one another. We see the apostle doing that. He wrote letters to us for all time and eternity. Letters to the churches that he prayed for these things for the people. It's important for us to be doing that too. But I think a lot of times when we pray, we forget our function as those who are watchers on the wall. And should persist in praying for the kingdom of God to come. Who would want nothing more than for our watch to be over. For morning to come. And for us to finally be done with our watch. And it will happen one day, brothers and sisters. God tells us that we should persist in that prayer. He says, and I love this, he says, take no rest. And in fact, give him no rest. Just continue to ask him over and over. Give him no rest in your asking. We're not giving him a chance to rest as if he needed that. But that's the language here. In Luke 18, there is the parable of the persistent widow. And I encourage you to study it for your own enrichment. But I'll just kind of paraphrase it. It's an interesting parable where you have this judge who's kind of not seems like a not so good of a guy, but the judge's job is to uphold justice. Right. And you have this widow and he continues to ask or she, this widow continues to ask for justice. Give me justice. And he finally relents in this parable. He finally relents in just in order to kind of keep her quiet. okay, if you'll just be quiet, I'll give you what you want. Which is interesting because that's what he should have been doing anyway, right? And Jesus, when he, when he tells us about this parable, he says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? God, or when Jesus gave that parable, he knew Isaiah 62. In fact, he was there when Isaiah wrote those words the first time. He knew already that he had a people for himself for all eternity and that he was coming to save them. And it would be absolutely right for them to pray unceasingly that he would come and that he would deliver them and that their watch would be over and that the bridegroom would finally be seen coming to rescue his people. There is a work for us to do on this earth. Absolutely. And we must continue that work. We must never. Let our guard down. We must always watch over ourselves, watch over those in our care, whoever that is. But the most important thing that we can do is pray that our watch would finally be over. It's like John's final prayer at the end of the book of Revelation. It's one of the simplest prayers ever prayed. What did he pray? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. John waited for the day that his watch would finally be over. We join him in that prayer. And we know that God will keep that promise. And that brings us to the last point, the oath of a savior. Look with me at verses eight and nine. The Lord has sworn by his right hand and by his mighty arm. I will not again give your grain to be food for your enemies And foreigners shall not drink your wine for which you have labored. But those who garner it shall eat it and praise the Lord. And those who gather it shall drink it in the courts of my sanctuary. So you have this promise that that justice is going, that injustice is going to go away. And I love here, how does the Lord swear? He swears upon himself because there's nothing greater than him. He swears by his own right hand, his own ability to bring these things about, that his people will never suffer injustice, that in the end he will have justice, that he's bringing with him his recompense, that he will deliver his people. And again, we have this continued picture in the book of Isaiah in verse 10, that there's going to be a highway prepared to see these things happen. Verse 10, go through, go through the gates, prepare the way for the people, build up, build up the highway, clear it of stones, lift up a signal over the peoples. Behold, the Lord is proclaimed to the ends of the earth and then he's coming, right? He's coming. Verse 11, behold, your salvation comes. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. And they shall be called the holy people, the redeemed people of the Lord. And you shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. So this highway is prepared. All the obstacles are taken away. And so all it's it's like as if all the things have been cleared so that when the Lord comes up over the hill and we are the watchers on the wall, we can see him coming clearly to us to finally Bring us home. And that we'll have this new name, a holy people, redeemed of the Lord. You shall be called sought out, a city not forsaken. We are a delight to him. Even so much so that while we were yet his enemies. Imagine this, that he is calling those who were once his enemies, who were once sinful to the core, He's calling us a delight. Even while we were his enemies, he he came and he died for us. He took our hearts of stone, made them into hearts of flesh. He's caused us to walk in his ways. He made us alive together with Christ Jesus. All these things that we know, we wear his robes of righteousness. We wear his garments of salvation. And this is a truth for all who believe. This is a truth that we ought to claim. If you want a truth to name and claim, there it is. Claim that you are his and that he delights in you. Jesus has a people for himself and that's us in Christ. If that's not you this morning, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we'll call upon his name and be saved. The scriptures are plain. It doesn't take Any of your own righteousness. In fact, your own righteousness will be rejected. It takes His. And how do you receive that? Call upon His name and be saved. You can have His robes of righteousness. Rather than having your own righteousness to present, you don't want to present your own righteousness before a holy God. You want to present His righteousness. The righteousness of Christ. Claim the salvation that He has for you. In conclusion, brothers and sisters in Christ, we long for this place that the text calls the Beulah Land. We await the day that that will come, that we'll see our Savior coming to deliver us. But until then, let us be vigilant. Let us persist in watching the walls. Not only protecting those in our care, but praying day and night without ceasing, persisting in that prayer. That his kingdom would come and that his will would be established here on earth. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we read these words, we pray that you would help us. To, as the text says, as you encouraged Isaiah to write, to give you no rest in praying these things that your kingdom would come here on earth, that our watch would be over and that you would take your people home. But until that day, Lord, help us to be vigilant. Help us to be those who watch, to keep guard over the flock, those people that you have deemed precious, those people that you have delighted in. Lord, help us. And to that end, Lord, we pray again that our watch would be over, that your kingdom would come to this earth. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.